maybe different projects you've worked on, keep it about two minutes and just kind of give a background for context for listeners. Sure, sure, sure. I've been around the place. I started as a game dev like 20 years ago. <laughs> but right now, the last startup I had was an aerospace board. I was building rockets and satellites. And got into white Aside from that, I've also worked with uh, index funds developing trading robots with uh, AI and that kind of stuff. I've also been all around the Bitcoin industry and the press and exchanges, wallet. Hey, tell me, what, where do you live? What city are you in? Where, where are you tuning in from? Right now, I'm in Buenos Aires. I'm in Tortuguitas, which is this, uh, kind of an upscale neighborhood on the outskirts. It's very chill, very green, nice and easy. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. So, would you would you consider yourself how how what title would you give yourself? Uh, uh, early stage full stack developer? Would you say? I guess I would say I'm like a founder. I mean, there's always new things you need to okay. learn, and the things we call full yeah. stack right now, we didn't have that name back in the day. We just did everything. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I can do. I do anything that I need to do, and I, if I don't know anything, if I don't know something, I just learn it. And that's my kind of thing. I mean, if I have to be something, we're like a chief researcher. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that, chief researcher. That's kind of what a founder is. They do everything that's necessary. And you're right, full stack developers are kind of this, uh, it's both, a, it's it's almost unspecialized in a way where you're, you, you declare that you're capable of doing anything across the stack. So I've seen full stack developers do front end, back end, of course, but DevOps, QA, even design, um, and I think it, this kind of goes into our first topic, which we'll bring up here, which is just how do you choose the skill that you learn? You know, how, how do you determine maybe if you're graduating college or university in your early 20s, maybe you've gone to school for computer science, maybe you haven't and you just want to get into tech. How do you recommend or Omar, maybe even speak for your own experience. How do you think about choosing a particular skill set across the stack to specialize in? Well, that really depends on what you want to do, because one thing that happens, I mean, full stack developed because as the environment grew, there were so many ways of doing the same thing. Many, many ways. I mean, you look at the amount of frameworks you have for JavaScript and you realize, OK, I can do the same thing like in 10 different ways <laughs> or mm. more, even more. And um, well, front end, for the most part, is more empirical. You need to try and repeat and try and see what happens because the platform is not very consistent. Different browsers draw things differently. And unless you're doing things at a very low level, like writing, I don't know, the basic OpenGL routines or Vulkan or whatever you need, that is the only way you can get a very consistent playground for what you want to do. So most of it depends on what kind of mindset you have and how much computer science stuff you want to do. Because if you're very hard in computer science, data structures, the, what, the traditional things you do in college, it's much better if you go to backend or DevOps even. Because front-end yeah. is more, it's something you need to be very resilient because things never go your way. I mean, sometimes you have bugs in browsers, you have bugs in the infrastructure, and you need to be able to sort of figure it out to have very practical problem-solving skills aside from other skills, which are, I mean, you have to have interfaces which are easy to be internationalized. You have to have an eye for usability. You have to have an eye for user testing, UX, UI. It's a bit of everything when it comes to front end. 
And when it comes to backend, the, the nicest thing about the backend is that the backend is so much more consistent. The things you do in the backend once, well, they will work years after it. Mm, yeah, that's so true. I think there's certainly the momentum you get if you went to school for computer science or data structures or some technical degree. But for some many people, they're getting into the technical field for the first time. Maybe they're even making a career switch from something else entirely. And I think from my experience, I've seen a good entry position because people often ask, how, how do I get into tech as a developer and start making money and get a job? And there's courses now where you can take, and they've been around for a while, it's not new, but Coursera, Udemy, Khan Academy, these kinds of things where you can sharpen your skill and you can get a certification to declare to an employer that you went through this training program. And I think that that and right now that's kind of table stakes. If you want to even get to a point where you're interviewing with a good company, you have to at least have, it doesn't have to be an institutional or college degree, but it has to be some kind of certification, something to show that you've really done a lot of work in this direction. The accreditation is nice. The, the thing I'll add to this is I've, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of folks that are young or making a career change into tech where they, they launch their own projects. So if they have an idea for, hey, I want to make you know, a, a, a donut delivery service in my hometown, it doesn't matter what the project is, but they have an idea, they map it out, they design the tech stack, and then they build and get to a point where they're actually shipping donuts in this case. Doing that kind of like put making your dream doesn't have to be your lifelong dream, but turning some idea into reality, you you just gain a level of thick skin in solving every problem along the way. And I think a lot of people feel intimidated by that, maybe building out their own projects. But I've seen it be such a it ends up being the thing in an interview you talk about the most. People see, you know, they'll see five different titles in your resume where you're working for a company, but then they'll see this one project that you started on your own and you launched into the world and they ask you about that. And that becomes 80% of the interview. And Omar, you mentioned you're a founder as, as one of your titles. How do you think about working for a company or starting your own projects? Um, is there a project you started in the past and worked on that made a pivotal experience in your career where you, you learned a ton or, or met a lot of people? Yeah, yeah. Both of my last projects were really actually all, all over the board because I was doing hardware things. I mean, I was building rockets. <laughs> I do have a background in physics and biology as well, but they, being able to integrate everything was so nice. I think my most complicated, most sophisticated project is the AI stack I built a very long time ago, like 10 years ago. I've always maintained it. And that's what I was using to trade, to optimize the rockets, to do kind of everything. And that got me to really interesting places. I met loads of language designers. I met some of the people doing C-sharp. I met the guy from Lua. I met many other people because one of the parts I was building, I had to build this compiler and this interpreter. I need to be fast and I need to be optimal for a certain use case. And trying to push the envelope, trying to go across to my comfort zone made me grow in many ways and made many people I wouldn't have imagined that would be meeting. And it was very nice in a way. And uh, another thing that happened when I was working with a rocket project was that uh, due to certain regulations, I wasn't be able to hire people from NASA for, because you have orbital tech and that's like defense stuff and you have to get authorization. There's many things that are weird. Once I was the director of a cancer research project and the optical instruments we used to get cancer slides, we could also use to uh, aim rockets as a weapon. So again, I had to go 
through the hoops and then find the, the proper authorizations, permissions, everything. It's like you're pushing it so far that you have knowledge that it's kind of forbidden <laughs> to mm -hmm. have. And that feels very weird. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, Prey, I want to loop you in the conversation. So one of the questions that was uh, popular on the uh, forum or the poll that we did was ways that people can, or one of the questions we asked, it seemed to be get about equal distribution across the questions. Uh, we had 54 votes. By the way, everyone who voted and who's listening, thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate your insight. It helps guide the conversation. But uh, Prey, I want to ask you, you've done a lot of work on social media. You manage our LinkedIn accounts and various social media accounts and help design a lot of uh, social media uh, campaigns over the years. How do you think about people's social profile image? Even when you interview different candidates at Otter, you're, you're, the first, the first um, impression is on LinkedIn. What catches your eye when you look at LinkedIn? Is it the picture, the title? What other things do you look at as a as an interviewer um, that help you kind of get a feel for like this guy really knows what he's doing and he's going to be interesting and worth talking to? Or hey, we may steer away from this person. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Uh, to answer your question, um, uh, I look at different factors in sourcing via LinkedIn. Uh, when I one thing that I do is uh, I try to check um, all of the uh, if the developer has the description for all the position he got uh, over the past years and some position are just um, uh, like no details at all so I skip those uh, uh, I skip those profile in LinkedIn I want those profiles with clear picture clarity of what they do technology stacks under profile and certification uploaded and those are the people who whom I um, let uh, let join the other other uh, labs um, full of great developers yeah uh, so review those again you said picture is most important or the the thing that separates different candidates yeah, uh, w one thing that I uh, want to see on a profile of a good candidate that, wanna, that I want to invite an author is a good picture. Um, tech stacks are there. Um, the description of their work is listed and there's the certification of the jobs. And uh, sometimes I also look uh, for these people who um, who take exams through LinkedIn because I think LinkedIn has a power is a powerful tool and they have free core uh, tech, uh, tech courses that uh, these developers can take and that is really a great thing that I'm I'm looking into these profiles. I love it. I love it. Pray to continue on with you here. Another question: uh, When you do interviews, at this point, you've probably done hundreds of interviews. Uh, not probably you have. I know for yeah, a fact. Yeah. <laughs> when when you when you do interviews. Um, what's the patterns that you've noticed what are the things that you've seen in different candidates maybe even from you know your initial scheduling or um yeah i'll let you speak on this for a moment but how do you what do you what separates people from your initial first impression to how you feel about them during the interview um yeah it's quite a tough question because uh, regarding a, a pattern that i can see is that um the first thing that i want to do um during an interview is i want their profile to come alive so i want there's uh i want them to speak for their profile i'm not the guy who i'm not an inter i'm not a recruiter who usually um uh do a quick glance of uh their 
uh, uh, their resume that they attach. I'm a guy who wants to ask direct question to these people, and then um, I want to I want them to explain on how they are badly expert on this uh, specific things. And once a developer identify that this position is suited for him, for example, my my first question is always like. Uh, what is the most job title that what is the job title that fits you most so when uh, when a when a developer um when a developer uh answer that question um i have a lead on my on my mind on what to ask to this developers if for example he said he's a front-end developer so his his um his expertise are all more mo mostly be likely more on front end so i will trigger all the question regarding that um, position and then I want the developer to answer me to share me some project meaningful projects that he have done. Also, one thing that I do for uh, the interview is that I ask their I ask them their goals because uh, that's one thing that's important for me when sourcing. Um, their goal is important. There was one guy who told me uh, his goal is. Um, based on ikagai concept ikagai concept is a japanese concept and that is the uh searching for um uh what do you call that so, uh, i quite forgot sorry uh it's about um searching happiness and your real purpose working it's not just about the money but it's about the value of your work and your purpose so that's one thing that uh th those are the things that i look for in an interview Wow, I like that a lot. I'll have to include that in the notes afterwards, the Ikigai principle. Um, uh, thank you, Bray. I wanted to circle back. Omar, so one of the most <clears throat> uh, common questions, I'll, I'll kick this off initially, but in the poll was 50% uh, of the people voted for how can international workers be successful with U.S. startups. I've started three, four companies in the U.S., have raised venture capital, about $25 million, uh, for two of them and sold two companies. And most of the developers that we ended up hiring uh, for one of my businesses, Home Hero, was from Argentina. And that that experience of hiring people remote at the time, this was 2013, 14, 15, at the time was unusual. Most companies across the world, especially in the Bay Area, I was in San Francisco and then Los Angeles, they were hiring just in their city. So we were having developers drive sometimes an hour, hour and 15, 20 minutes each way to come to the office. It was incredibly inefficient, but the remote culture wasn't popular. People weren't hiring in different areas. And so we ended up hiring a uh, two guys from Argentina, Buenos Aires, and that grew to five, 10. We had about 12 when the company was acquired. And I, I realized at that point, this was 2014, that that the the entire globe our earth that we all share is going to be intellectually connected through the internet initially through the hardware uh is going to allow us to all connect to the internet and have fast conversations like this but then we're all going to connect on a level where we can contribute to projects together and that just raises up everybody and it makes for more interesting projects and, and companies out there in the world. So one of the things I've realized that helps international people, workers in particular, be successful with US startups is that they have to demonstrate the capability to mesh with the culture of the team. So when I talk to founders, I'll talk to a lot of founders and, and CEOs of companies, and they'll say, well, we want to hire remote, but we also want to, we're concerned that the person that we hire isn't going to fit in with the team. And what they mean by that specifically is that there's going to be a clash of uh, cult accepted cultural norms of how to communicate specifically. It's rarely ever about the code. 
uh, it's all about communication. So engineers inherently do two things. They create, they build, and then they communicate what they built. So people are generally concerned about international people with their ability to communicate. One, it's got to be in the same time zone. So having synchronous conversations are important. But the nice thing about Argentina and South America generally is we're on the same time zone as North America. So that's better than, say, India or, or other parts of the world. The second is, how do you connect with the people on the team? And I think about this as like, as if, if you're, if I'm in your shoes, if I'm in Argentina, maybe I'm a, a mid-level, even senior level developer, and I'm, I just got a job opportunity, or I want to be successful in this job that I'm working with, with the US team. Um, part of it is engaging with people one-on-one -on -one in conversations. I think far too often developers think that it's okay to just push code, ship code, and say absolutely only necessary things in Slack. I would actually invite people who are working with US companies or will in the future to just ping people on the team and set up 15 minute calls and just connect with them. Like, what are you into? What are you, what sports are you watching? What do you, how's your family? What, what music are you playing? These kinds of things, they might seem like a waste of time, but the 15, 20 minutes you can spend to just kick on a video call with somebody builds a kind of rapport that if you have, if you do this with people on your team, people, people make decisions about who to hire and who to fire and, and what the big decisions in life, they do them on their gut, right? They use their, their brain, their mind has to say, okay, everything has to align. We have to, you know, salary skills, everything like that. But ultimately it's, how do I feel about this person? Do I want to spend the next thousand hours of my life working and talking with this person? And so I think an underappreciated part of this is getting getting video time with someone especially now we all use slack and zoom and everything really connecting with people on a on an emotional human to human level um is like the biggest thing i would encourage people when you're working with remote teams uh omar have you seen this to be true i'm, I'm curious to hear your experiences and maybe how how the culture was at different projects that you were involved in what well, was good or what was actually, bad everything you just said i was going to say the exact same thing <laughs> so we're we're on top of it. yeah because i mean we play the same games we watch the same movies our culture is basically your culture with some differences i mean we have some small food differences it's more like mediterranean but the culture the fit that is exactly what i was going to say it is so so important and i've seen in companies with people from very different cultures there's loads and loads of friction because people kind of don't understand what they mean sometimes something is which is offensive in one culture is not offensive in the other one thing about argentine culture is that it's very callous in argentina there's many things with people say that will be offensive everywhere else so as an argentine one has to to know that what everything we say here might not be as nice and easy enough in some other country including us <laughs> i won't ask you to give examples but if no, one please, comes no, to I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in in a sense, I found that and there's there's cultures which are more uh, close to each other. For instance, I found mm. little difference in Russian developers and Argentine developers because it's like the countries are similar in many many ways, and uh, people have developed this mindset to survive in that country that gets gets carried away very easily to the other country. So when you working with when I'm working with Russians or Eastern Europeans, I'm like, okay, this is like Argentina from another place. <laughs> mm -hmm. how, about, how, many, 
how about the company side? How, how, how do, from my perspective, I, I've pretty much only worked with U.S. companies. From your perspective, you've worked with many other companies from different com- cultures. What's the, yeah. what's the brand of American co- companies? Wh- how do we look as compared to other countries? Well, I would say the brand of American entrepreneurship is the best in the world. I mean, Americans, I love the thing about Americans, like cowboys. It's just, okay, that's the best thing over there. I just, I need to get it. I'll go get it. Get whatever person helps me and I'll go get it. They make decisions on the spot, on their gut. They're very brave and courageous and they act on it. If it was in Europe, I would go through a protocol, two different process for interviews. And when I go there, the goal is, not, is no longer there. <laughs> wow. There's some, and in Argentina, at least, what the difference is, is that uh, over here, it's much more relaxed. Argentines are very chill, and they, they just, they don't have the same rush, the same uh, action, you know? It, it's it, it's so different. Mm. And Canada is similar to the U.S., but it's also much more relaxed. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I work all over the place. I, I've been in, I worked in Canada, I worked in the U.S., I worked in London, I worked in Switzerland, I worked in Hong Kong. And we'll, well, I work with uh, many people from the Eastern Europe, Russians, all over the place. And uh, yeah, what you said, well, everything you were saying, it's just true. It's just true. One of the things, though, that I appreciate about multicultural teams is that even though there's more friction, there's also more ideas because different types of people have different types of perspectives. And in the, if the culture is different, all those perspectives are very different as well. One good example is AMD. AMD has loads of multicultural teams. And they do this thing, everything, everything's so creative, they get so many more ideas. I mean, it's maybe a slower process because like it's different, it's difficult to get everyone rolling in the same way, but you get so many ideas that it's so nice from the creative process. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Um, man, we could go on for so long. Uh, I'll let you get the, the last wrap up here. Uh, how is it in Manila? You've been in Philippines, born and raised, and you live there. You've worked with American companies and companies in Europe. Uh, what, what, what is the, what's the, your view? How, how have you been successful with and merged with the cultures of, of different companies, uh, different countries? Okay. Thank you for your question, Mike. Um, first of all, um, most Filipinos here are working for an international company. Uh, what's the top job here in the Philippines is a BPO. And I have been a BPO. Uh, I have been in a BPO industry when I was young. And then I started working remotely and then I came to know Mike. Mike is my, uh, greatest mentor uh, we worked before um to redeem bitcoin company uh bitcoin platform uh peer, a peer-to-peer group uh yeah so we started there and then uh he trained me to a lot of things he exposed me to a lot of industry and then um and then we uh he contacted me to um i contacted him actually uh be- before so because i was so uh um stressed about my work and then mike is just always there for me and uh he um he gave me a lot of opportunities uh uh abroad and then yeah that's why that's why i'm thankful for you mike thank you for uh letting me uh uh being exposed to this kind of uh things and i'm very thankful about you where am i right now (laughs) (laughs) thank you bray i appreciate that and yeah i i i genuinely enjoy working with you and i just i love i get so fired up working with smart ambitious people people who regardless of what culture company country you born and raised in if you have that spirit inside of you that wants to build something and and make a difference in your life and change the lives of people around you from that 
you know, that's why Otter exists to connect people with awesome companies. I just see that the founders want to hire hustlers and smart people, uh, but but often it's just crowded and complicated to, to how to do that. Um, let's pause the conversation here. We've been on 25 minutes. This has been wildly successful. Thank you, everyone who's listening. Likely, we're going to be doing these the same time every week with a poll beforehand to ask what the most interesting questions and topics would be. We're going to invite on different guests. Uh, Omar was, I couldn't imagine a better first guest. So Omar, thank you so much for joining us today and pray as well to you. No, please. Thanks to you. I never imagined I was doing this. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thank you again for everyone listening and stay tuned for the next one. Thank you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya.